Hi, everyone. Welcome to What's Your Why, a new podcast showcasing the greatness of people through their life stories. Each episode will capture insight into the lives of people just like you and I, with the intention to connect, align, and create inspiration for and with our listeners. Stay with us through our What's and Why segment, where we dive into our guest perspective with some thought-provoking questions that just might be right up your alley. I'm your host, Helen Dillon, and thanks for joining us. Now let's get into it. I first met my next guest about 10 years ago at a show in Thermal, California. I was a newcomer, and he was a staple with a famous name that everyone knew. I soon realized that although his name is recognizable amongst many groups across many generations, he stand alone and stand out in his own right, with a big personality and an even bigger heart. Whenever I felt like a fish out of water, he was always there to offer me insight, solutions, and support. Never afraid to crack a joke to provoke a smile or open his arms to offer a hug. He's thoughtful, generous, and endearing. Archibald Cox III, better known to everyone as simply Archie, has often referred to himself as being very fortunate. He achieved much success as a young rider growing up in Long Island, New York, surrounded by many famous equestrians that were better known as family friends. Upon receiving a degree in political science from Drew University, Archie continued his equestrian education, working and learning from some of the best in the biz. In late 2000, he opened his own business, Brookway Stables, and let's just say the rest is history. Some would say that Archie's famous name may have led to his fortune, but I definitely beg to differ. Archibald Cox III has found fame and fortune in spite of what his grandfather's name represents, and he deserves every accolade that he's worked so hard to achieve. For the next 30 minutes or so, I invite you to sit back and relax with AC3 and I, where fortune and fame might be the name of the game, but self-identity and kindness is where it's at. I will start by introducing you. This is Archie Cox the third AC3 in the house, killer friend of mine, met in California a few years ago, and I'm thrilled and excited that you're here with me and that you said yes. Thank you so much, Archie. Thank you very much for inviting me to be on this podcast. I'm excited to do it and to share my story and share my life. Super. So I'm going to launch into asking you about your story. Tell me how it started in the very beginning. Your family was from... Massachusetts? Salmon Whalen, Massachusetts. My grandparents on my father's side were from Massachusetts, from Whalen. Mm-hmm. And they were also from Brooksville, Maine. And hence the name of their farm and mine is Brookway Stables. Oh, they had the same farm name? Yes. Oh, I didn't know that at all. Yeah. That's pretty interesting. So tell me, how did it start? Did your grandparents and your parents, were they involved in horses on a recreational level? My parents were not. My grandparents were very involved. My grandmother uh, was into in saddle horses and Morgan horses. Yeah. And she was very influential in New England in the 4-H. Okay. And teaching and uh, educating children the values of horses. Uh, in 1977, she was on the board of what was then the AHSA. Okay. And I grew up riding some with her in the summers when we would go to Maine and see them. Mm-hmm. We generally went in August for a few weeks. Mm-hmm. When I was really little, she would have a pony for my sister and I to kind of hang on, play with. And I guess that's partially where my passion for horses began. Where I lived in Locust Valley, New York, and in the riding world, there were some sort of big names of 
owners and riders. I tell people I lived across the street from Susie Humes. Right. I lived up the street from Tracy Topping. And I lived down the street from Bunny French. Those are some big names in a small area. (laughs) Those are big names (laughs) in a small area. And my mother was very close with Bunny French's mother. Mm -hmm. And she was a, a driving force in guiding how I did things. The French has had horses with Rodney Jenkins. I guess you'd say they had the best of the best. For sure. And my mother learned what that was about, how it took place, that there was many different levels of riding. And she allowed me to get to the top. That's amazing. So she encouraged you to be a part of the equestrian world and do everything you could do or wanted to do in that aspect. When you were young. Yeah. When I was young, she would drop me off at the barn before school or after school almost every day. Yeah. Once we got to where we were showing and we kept the horses at a boarding barn. Yep. Uh, For quite a few years, we kept the horses at Susie Humes' barn. Uh, Her family had an estate across the street from where we lived and our horses lived there. So it was always very much a part of my life. And my mother made huge sacrifices, financial and of time. I mean, I think time is one of the biggest things. For sure. Time and desire. If you have those two things on your side, you're way ahead of most. Right. But time requires sacrifices, giving up other things. Did your mother go to the horse shows with you and sort of do everything that parents used to do back then, stand ringside and clap and cheer and... My mother did everything. She drove the horse trailer. Amazing. She would often be the groom. Yeah. And we showed a lot and she had so much fun doing it. That's amazing. Before I guess I sort of went bigger time to the big times, we'd show at all the local New Jersey, Long Island, Connecticut, New York horse shows all winter long. Mm -hmm. And when I think back of my mother driving the two-horse trailer and the old station wagon. (laughs) Oh, God bless her driving up 95 freeway to Boulder Brook (laughs) and Fairfield. If that's not support, I don't know what is. (laughs) In the snow and the ice. Yeah. And driving over the George Washington Bridge, the Cross Island Expressway, uh, the Cross Bronx Expressway. And you think, looking back, I think, Holy shit, how did she do it? (laughs) Right? Like, wow. (laughs) Wow. And what made her want to do it? That's the other thing, too. Yep. And we would do it, and we would go and show in two classes and turn around. Uh, Back then, we stabled at horse shows very little. Mm -hmm. So we would just commute to the show day after day. And one or two classes, maybe three classes, and do it again the next day. Right? (laughs) Right. As we advanced, she drove the two horse trailer into New York City. And there we got we opened the trailer door, took our horse up into the garden. And we practiced earlier in the week before the McClay finals. Yeah. We went in during the open jumpers. Okay. Probably in the hindsight, we really weren't meant to do that. (laughs) But you know, (laughs) They're not going to turn some little kid away. That's exactly right. <laughs> it's like some, 
Yeah, if you have the balls to just like walk your horse up the ramp at Madison yep. Square Garden, go for it. <laughs> they're going to let you show. Power to you. <laughs> yeah. So my mother was a huge driving force and just a support system second to none. Did she teach you how to ride? Like who taught you the basics? No, she didn't ride. Oh, okay. Nope. Wow. She did take up riding when I went to college. Yeah. And she rode some with Lisa Rex and with Jeff Teal. Okay. And that was after, uh, when I was in college. After you became famous with all your uh, accolades in college. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> For those of you that can't see, he's rolling his eyes and blushing right now. <laughs> uh, well, I did the intercollegiate and I was national champion on the flat. Amazing. I, I couldn't do the jumping. You know, a lot of that is luck. A lot of life is just luck. Well, I tell people I'm very lucky, though. But you work hard for your luck as well. Yes. I was born very driven. And I had a great support system that encouraged me to sort of get up and do it every day. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I always thought, if you put your mind to something, I can do anything. Did you grow up feeling that the whole way through your, you know, your teenage years and all the way through college? Yeah. Did that ever? Yeah. That's nice. I don't know that everybody has that opportunity or luxury to feel that way. Yeah. Just work harder. You can do anything. Yeah, just keep working. It's true. You can. Keep your nose down. Keep your eye on the prize and you'll get there. So when you graduated college, you decided to ride with Karen Healy. Is that right? Or you were a working student for her? Neither. I was, um, I graduated from college and I had at one point I stopped riding in college. Okay. I stopped for about eight months. I did a semester in London, London, England, yeah. and that was phenomenal time. Yeah. I was a political science major in college and it was an amazing time with Margaret Thatcher being prime minister and they had uh, the poll tax riots. Okay. And London was crazy at that time, but what a great time to be there. I went in the spring. Every day got nicer. The days get longer. Yeah. Ended up traveling some. Are we talking the 80s, mid-80s it would be, right? No, uh, the spring of 90. Okay. Spring of 90, and then I had started a semester late in college. I started in January, so then I graduated in January. So I had one semester left in the fall. And I came home and I started working some for Amos Spadone. I didn't know that either until I started doing research on you. Yeah. I worked for Amos for about nine or 10 months mm -hmm. and always had this idea that I wanted to go to California. Yeah. Oh, California sounds so incredible. Right. Now, I knew nothing about Rancho Santa Fe or Tarzana and Sino. They all just sounded really cool. Yep. Ah, <laughs> uh, from Beverly Hills. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. It sounded so amazing. So I sent six letters to different professionals that I knew in California asking for a job with a resume of what I'd done as a junior and then college and then while working for AMO. And Karen Healy said, I think this could be a good thing. So I moved in the spring of 92. Uh, I left on Memorial Day in 92 and dro started driving west to California. Mm -hmm. And I worked for Karen until December of 2000. So I was with her for a long time. 
And I actually gave my notice in May of 2000. I said, at the end of the year, I'm leaving. I said, I know that I, when I came, I said, oh, you know, two or three years. But I think it was now or never, seven and a half years. Yeah. And I think probably the the biggest compliment I can say is I would do it again in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. I had a great time working for Karen. I learned a lot. It was a lot of horse shows, a lot of time at home. Mm-hmm. Always learning. You can learn good. You can learn bad. You can learn something from everyone and take away from that. And then I started my own business, Brookway Stables, in 2001, well, December of 2000. And it's been full speed ahead and it's been a great, great 20 years. Have you ever been referred to as uh, the trainer for the stars? No. Never. Uh, Hopefully the trainer that makes stars. Well, that's true. They want to make them. Absolutely. No, that's true. Yep. Funny enough, most of the time in, I learned this just through osmosis, being around people. Actors and actresses have really hard jobs. Mm -hmm. Their time belongs to someone else. Mm -hmm. And so there are not a lot of actors and actresses that ride at a high level because of time constraints that they have. Right. So in terms of, you know, the Brad Pitts and the Michelle Pfeiffer's and probably a whole laundry list of others, not a lot of those people ride and compete as rigorously. They probably ride and they love horses. Mm-hmm. I see a lot of people that really have a passion for horses and often have a passion for competition. Yeah. Like, can you tell early on with a student that they have a competitive nature and that's something you maybe want to focus on rather than, for lack of a better term, the fluff or the people that just sort of want to keep it as a as a hobby when they have time here and there? Really, I say there are two types of riders. There are two types of students. For some, it's a hobby and for some, it's a passion. Mm-hmm. And you can tell right away. You can. You can, t- you can tell right away. You can encourage people to make their hobby a passion. But you're also, it's important to recognize that keeping it as a hobby is okay too. Mm -hmm. Uh, As long as the expectations are realistic. For sure. But the person that rides three times a week casually may enjoy it even more than people that do it on a competitive level. Right. I have customers that don't ever show. And it's refreshing because they they ride because they love horses. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there are two types of riders. Some people ride because they show and some show because they ride. Yep. And I would say I have both of those. And, and there's no judgment appreciating the sport, appreciating the animals, uh, the appreciation of outside Quality horses, quality care. Mm -hmm. There's a level that people want. How do you find the time to be able to give everybody your time, both types of riders that choose to ride with you? You know, you show, you're on the road a lot, you have high quality training, you have high quality horses, you're shopping, buying, doing all those things that are a part of being an equestrian trainer. How do you also find time to 
not push aside the rider that just wants to ride at home and maybe doesn't fit into the program? How do you create your program so that it it acknowledges both types? People that ride at home are often a breath of fresh air. Right. They ride because they love horses and they love the sport. Yeah. For me, it's pretty easy and I look forward to teaching those people because they really have a true appreciation for getting better. Their day is decided by the bond they have with their horse. Mm -hmm. If they get a blue ribbon, if they get a yellow ribbon, if they get no ribbon, they're happy. It's about the experience of it all. I can be guilty of it too, but the people that get an 86 at a horse show and their third out of three because the other scores were 87 and 88, and they're so disappointed. Really? Come on, you're doing great. And that's just a one person's opinion. Yeah. But because you were third, you're in a terrible mood. Do you feel like there's some people in the industry that have lost an appreciation for just the connection with an animal, the connection that humans have with horses, because it's become more about the competition involved with being first or being the best? Or do you feel like a little bit of that connection is lost? Well, I suspect in any sport where there's competition, I would think it would happen in any sport in showing dogs and playing tennis. Mm -hmm. You know, you can have, play your best game. And if you play against Roger Federer, appreciate the opportunity. Mm -hmm. And I try to really instill that in people. Appreciate it. And then, you know, you might have a bad day. And I learned from Philip Sillis, fellow Canadian, mm -hmm. like yes. yourself. Philip Sillis has a rule at his barn. He said, after a competition, after you're done showing, you have 30 minutes. You can bitch, you can moan, you can complain for 30 minutes, and then you better put a smile back on your face and be happy you're here. That's a great rule in life, period. It's a great rule in life. You're allowed 30 minutes to feel shitty or, oh, God, why did the cop pull me over? Woe is me. Everyone else was speeding. <laughs> and then you have to just say, okay, hold on. <laughs> Let's remember that I go speeding Let's every focus. day. <laughs> Let's come back to reality that all the number of times I haven't been caught speeding. Right. You know, the number of times that I missed a lead change and I still got an 84. You win some, you lose some. Many years ago, Mousy Williams, great California horseman, she said, you know, judging and horse show, she said, you know, the person that only goes to one show a year probably gets screwed. <laughs> the rest of the time, it evens itself out. And you have to remember that. It's true. Yeah. yeah. It's very true. And that's pretty true in life. For all the times that you were speeding and got off the hook, take that one ticket here and there. Yeah. Have you implemented that philosophy in your barn? Oh, yeah. The 30 minutes, you got 30 minutes and that's it. You can bitch them out for 30 minutes and then you have to say, okay, we're jumping farm animals <laughs> over wood. Yep. Are the parents, I say to them, your mood, you're depending on a 12 year old for your mood. The results of a 12 year old child 
on a farm animal. Well, that's the reality of it when you think about it that way, when you put it into context. So, you know, I say I was born lucky. Most people over 52, 53, they know my name. My grandfather was a special prosecutor in Watergate. Mm -hmm. And he was pretty much an American hero taking down Richard Nixon. Mm -hmm. What do they refer to as that Saturday Night Massacre? Oh, yes. Saturday Night Massacre in October of 72, long time ago. But I happened to be born with a great name. Yeah. Archibald Cox III. Your father was junior and your grandfather was senior. Is that correct? You are correct. Having that famous name also came as a child. It came with a lot of pressure. Yes. And it came with pressure in school because, okay, my name is in every American history textbook. Yeah. And that was something people, oh, will you be a lawyer? Will you be a lawyer? Because when I was in grade school and high school, Watergate was still pretty recent in terms of big events. Yeah. Yeah. And that was a lot of pressure. And then they oh, I would have 10,000 questions. And I'm like, How did you deal with that? I mean, as a young person, that kind of pressure, obviously, your family has prominence. And did they have any expectations? It doesn't sound like it, but. No, there were never any expectations. And it was interesting. I knew so little about it mm -hmm. because my grandfather didn't like speaking of it. He thought it was a real unfortunate situation in America. Mm -hmm. And he would like to be remembered as a teacher. He taught at Harvard for over 50 years. Mm -hmm. And politics and Watergate was something that that was just a little blip in his life. Mm -hmm. uh, he said it was the hardest thing he had ever had to do. He was raised that the president of the United States was the most important person. Mm -hmm. And he had to stand up to the president and say, I doubt you. I think you're wrong. I need proof of what took place. Yeah. I, I knew so little. I was born late 67. Okay. So I was a munchkin then. Right. Yeah. But in college, professors would ask me questions and I'd sort of look at the professor cross-eyed and think, oh my God, that's not me. And we made a point of not talking about it yeah. at family meals. Yeah. My grandfather, he was very quiet at home, a man, a few words. So I actually didn't know as much as you might expect. Uh, he never wrote a book, never talked about it, didn't want to make any money from it. I learned a lot from that. And I learned about giving back. Uh, my grandmother being so involved in 4-H, the Morgan Horse Association, she was president for, I believe, 25 years. So I learned a lot about giving back to the sport. And in 2007, I went on the board of the what was then the United States Equestrian Federation. Mm -hmm. And when I got there... There were Saddle Horse and Morgan board members that had known my grandmother. Mm -hmm. So it was pretty incredible for a 30-year gap. We were both on the board skipping a generation. That's amazing. So that was pretty fun. For sure. 
but I learned a lot growing up about giving back through governance, through passion. I mean, I wake up every day excited to go to work. Yeah. Excited to teach that lesson, to try to get that short stirrup rider to canter around the ring or <laughs> the Grand Prix horse to get in the ring. Every level, if the rider is passionate, I'm passionate. Yeah. I have the ability to be very excited to be at home if I know I'm staying at home when horse shows in a downtime, or I can go 15 weeks in a row to horse shows. Mm -hmm. I'm very happy doing either, which is a surprise to quite a few people. It's a surprise to me. My opinion is that most people prefer to stay at home, but that might not actually be fact. I think that there might be a split. Some people really enjoy going on the road and doing horse shows regularly. Well, horse shows, a lot of it is you see a lot of the glamour, a lot of the fun, the competition. Yeah. At home is the nuts and bolts of learning how to ride. The homework, the teaching lessons. And you've, you've said that that's what you enjoy the most is teaching. I enjoy teaching and seeing the relationship between the horse and the rider get better and increase. And the learning and I think overall in the United States, the level of horsemanship is way up. Mm -hmm. The small group at the top, I think, is still relatively small. Mm -hmm. The McLean Wards, the Lauren Huffs, the Kent Farrington, Lucy Davises, that's a small number. Mm -hmm. But general horsemanship of people that ride horses, I think, has gotten better and better and better. Right. Did Lucy Davis start with you? Lucy Davis rode with me for six and a half years. Okay. From when she was, well, I guess she was 12 years old through her last junior year. Wow. Came with her little pony. She had a pony, Enrico. <laughs> yeah, and then the rest was, was just a magical time for both of us. For sure. I kind of want to go back to ask about the influence your family had on you in feeling any sort of pressure or. As a youngster in grade school and high school and in college, when the professor comes to your name or the teacher comes to your name and you know, it's coming because Archibald <laughs> Cox is in the beginning <laughs> of the alphabet. And every time they stop and they'll say, are you? I know what it means. And I'm like, mm -hmm. yes, he was my grandfather. Right. So that came with an expectation that, oh, you must be really smart. Right. And I'm like, well, you know, I'm pretty smart. It was his job and he did it. And I grew up feeling, I would say, insecure because I didn't know that much about it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really choose to learn a lot about Watergate. Right. Probably when I opened my own business, suddenly I was like, well, my name is a lot to live up to. And I think I'm doing pretty good. You are. You're doing great. Yeah. So I think I'm doing pretty well. So when I was younger, I was like, oh, they're going to single me out. <laughs> and it's like, oh, no, here, here they come. They're in the bees. See is next. See is next. <laughs> Oh, look. And the question. There's a Donald Chambers. Yes. yes. One left. <laughs> oh, that's funny. 
but I think as I've gotten more comfortable and more confident and I have the respect of my peers, when I introduce myself, I'm proud of my name and I'm proud, also proud of what I've done. Mm -hmm. uh, you as an individual, not because of your lineage. Correct. Yeah. And I often say my grandfather had law. My father has banking and sort of Wall Street. And I have horses. And I know that we're all very happy doing each job. You found your passion. I found my passion and I follow it. And I'm excited to do it. Very good. Was your grandfather a hero for you? Not because he was your grandfather, just because of things you learned later on in life? No. He was just my grandfather. He was just your granddad. Just like anyone else's granddad. Yeah. He was my grandfather and he actually had lost his hearing in one ear. And I would say he was a man of very few words. Okay. And he commanded a quiet respect. So you, I, I didn't really sit around and chit chat with him. Right. Right. We weren't going to just watch TV and gab. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> no. <laughs> so then I'm going back again, but what made you decide poli-sci? That is inquisitive to me. I like it. I actually find it very easy. Yeah. You're dealing with facts. You know, the healthcare system in Canada, the healthcare system in America, the healthcare system in England. It's just comparative analysis. And yes. what governments stood the test of time, what's worked for a long time. Mm -hmm. You know, the United States government, the system works pretty well. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of different systems that work well. And I say anything that is traditional, it has stood the test of time, so it must work pretty well. Right. Uh, you know, they talk about people's attire in the horse show ring being traditional. Mm -hmm. It's around because it looks nice and it works. Right. It's functional and it works. Mm -hmm. And I have great pride in horses that last a long time. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the horses that win for three months and disappear. Well, that's great. But show me a horse that wins for years. That's a great horse. Do you think that horses have a passion for it just like people do? Yes. You do. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. I've heard that a lot, and I would, I would say that I agree. Some horses love it. Some horses don't. You can tell right away. You can just tell in their eye. Yeah. Yeah. The one thing I do want to ask you is, what was your takeaway from Amol? What do you feel like Amol, and I'll ask the same about Karen, what did Amol teach you or what have you carried on from Amos Spadone? What did you learn the most? Amos Spadone taught me that every horse has a job and it's important to listen to the horse as to what job they want. Interesting. So if, if it can be the best children's hunter or the best short stirrup horse, yep. leave it as the best short stirrup horse. Leave it as the best children's hunter. It can be the best children's hunter or a terrible junior hunter. Right. Leave it as the best. Whatever it wants to be. Whatever it is, let it succeed. 
And then the same question for Karen. What was your your takeaway from working with Karen? Uh, my best takeaway from Karen is passion and determination. Yeah. Karen Healy is one of the most passionate and determined people I know mm-hmm. in every aspect of her life. With the horses, with teaching, she gets up and goes at it every day, rain or shine. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Who did you learn your kindness from? I've, I've always had a, I would say, fun but realistic personality. Yeah. I'm lucky that I was born this way. Right. When I, I look back, I have little handwritten report cards from little grade school teachers, first grade, second grade, third grade. Mm-hmm. And they say, Archie is such a pleasure to be in the classroom with. Yep. He's always having fun. It's funny. You're such a magnet. You're such a magnetic personality. And when I was working uh, or when I was at horse shows and I was very involved in the industry, you were always the person that for me in particular, I mean, you could draw me in. I would be like, oh, my Archie's coming. And, you know, if you need a hug, get one from Archie. If you need a handshake with those massive hands, get one from Archie. Or, you know, you could always sort of make somebody smile and brighten up a day because no matter how shite your day was, you were going to make somebody feel better. So I thank you for that, for sure. Well, you're welcome. It's interesting. I always remember there there are no bad days. Mm-hmm. The bad moments within the day. And I remember telling you, Helen, at Thermal, I'd say, you know, the next five hours are going to be a little rough. I remember that. <laughs> but in five hours, it'll be all over. And you're going to wake up tomorrow morning and feel great. <laughs> and we can do it all again. We're going to do it all over again. <laughs> but we'll have five hours of conflicts. The siding ring might have to wait and we'll roll the dice. Right. And in five hours later, you can either do it in a good mood or you can do it in a bad mood. Yes. Either way, those five hours will still take place. It's going to happen no matter what. Yeah. So you might as well smile and just say, hold on, we're coming. Well, I always appreciated your uh, your insight and your support and uh, above all your friendship, that's for sure. Well, we have, a, we have a lot of fun. We do. And now we've come to what some would call the very best part of the show, our segment appropriately named What's and Why's. It's where we get to ask our guests some questions that inquiring minds want to know. So without further ado, I bring you the What's and Why's for your listening pleasure. Who do you look up to and why? I probably look up to my good friend, Linda Huff. I look up to Linda Huff for someone that has such a passion for the sport, does it with elegance, does it with beauty. She told me once, a barn has to be functional. Mm -hmm. You don't need all the bells and whistles. They're great, but function is most important. Mm Mm-hmm. A clean, well-functioning barn, that's what you need. There you go. There you go. What's something that brings you joy and why? Uh, What brings me joy is seeing other people enjoy horses, their passion for the horses, their passion for the industry, to make things better. That brings me joy. Very good. When you look back through your life, what decision brings you the most happiness and why? I think getting married to my husband, Jorge. You got married? Yeah, come on. I didn't know that. A party. 
Come on. Congratulations. Yeah. So that's a few years too late. Three and a half. Oh my God. Yeah. That, that brings me the most joy. That's the best decision. He's an amazing human being. You yes. guys are perfect for one another. I love that for you. Yes. Very good. What's something that you feel people get wrong about you and why? Uh, people think I'm horse show crazy and that while we were down from horse shows that I must have been going crazy. It was amazing to be at home and te actually teach people how to ride. Mm -hmm. I can teach people how to win, but to teach them how to ride and try to cover every step of the way is so important. It's so much fun. It's your true passion. Yeah. Who did you learn how to teach from? That has to be a learned thing. It's not for everybody. I learned from almost everyone in the industry. Yeah. I listen a lot. As a youngster, someone told me, always said, pay attention. Yeah. Pay attention. And I pay attention. I, I hear how trainers speak to their students. I hear how they explain things. And I take the opportunity, even now, I'll listen to Katie Monahan for Dump how she explains something to a student mm -hmm. or how Missy Clark, any of the great trainers. And then I'll also listen to someone teaching in the children's hunter ring mm -hmm. and how they prioritize different things. And what a pri what is the priority for a greener rider? What's the priority for a advanced rider and how things are phrased. Mm -hmm. And that's a really important thing. I make a point in my teaching, I tell people simply what to do. And that's true in life. I often use the example of giving directions. Mm -hmm. And I'll, I'll say, when you go out of my driveway, turn right. When you get to the end of the street, turn left. Don't turn right. You have to turn left. Don't turn right. And then at the next intersection, turn left. All they've heard at the end of the day is, he said, don't do something. Yeah. I can't, which it was either don't turn right. Or I, I don't know which it is. Just p tell people, turn right, turn left, turn left. Authoritative direction. Just give them the directions. Yeah. And I learned that actually from Stephanie Donhockel's father, John Donhockel. Mm -hmm. We went to Devon. Stephanie was very green then. And it was pouring rain. Stephanie had never ridden in the rain and she added strides long way to go to add strides and her dad says why did she add strides and I said well she doesn't have the experience that a lot of these other kids have because she's never ridden in the rain and he said well just tell her what to do if you tell her what to do she'll do it and I so clearly remember that just tell people what to do and they'll just react accordingly. And they'll react. And a lot of times they can, they're able to just do what you tell them versus don't tell them what not to do. Right. There are a million things not to do. Right. <laughs> don't jump off your horse. I mean, no. <laughs> but if you tell them it's raining, it's muddy, you've got to go a little faster and jump in and speed up more. They'll do it. They'll do that. Right. So. That's something. 
I never looked at it that way before, but that's an interesting perspective, even in life. Just tell people what you want them to do and they'll react accordingly. Avoid the word not or don't. Don't. Mm -hmm. Like when you say don't cut in, what's the first thing they did? Cut in. Cut in. (laughs) Okay. Well, my last question is who would you like to hear on what's your why as a guest next and why? I'd like to hear from anyone on Law & Order. Anyone on Law & Order. Uh I'd like to hear from anyone for the the passion that they have as an industry in a group. It's been on the air for so long, and I'm fascinated by the bond that all the actors have, how the directors, producers have kept it going for so long. And it's a worldwide phenomenon. Yeah, it is. There you go. I'll be calling you next to hook me up with someone from Law & Order. There you go. No small <laughs> feat. Right? Yeah. <laughs> well, very good. Archie, I have to say again, thank you so much for agreeing to do this, for your willingness to participate, for being so open about your past, present, and future, even though we didn't really talk about your future. And uh, you are a staple in my life. I'm not sure if you realize that when I first arrived in California, I sort of knew nobody. And I just needed to walk the walk and talk the talk. And you were such a comfort to me when I was there. So thank you for that. You're welcome. You did it with authority. Thank you. Oh, my God, you're welcome. I'd like to thank everyone for joining us for this episode of What's Your Why? our listeners, guests, and our sponsors too. It's our hope that you enjoyed your time with us and possibly gained some new perspective as well. It's said that we can learn something new every day if we just listen, and that knowledge has a beginning, but no end. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, be safe, be well, and remember, always leave people better than you found them. A Twisted Spur Media Production.